Welcome to the Get With It podcast. I will be your host, Elizabeth. This podcast will focus on the decline of women in technology and how our grassroots organization works with the community to foster relationships and reducing the gap of women in tech. We will be talking with both men and women on how to continue to move the needle forward on those relationships. For more information, please check us out at getwitit.org. Hello, and welcome to another edition of the Get With It podcast. Today, my guest is Vicki Knott, and I said that correctly, right? Yes. I mess up last names like you would not believe. So um, Vicki is in Canada. What part of Canada? Calgary, Alberta, Canada. Okay, so you're two hours behind us. Yes. And um, we just happened to be pre-recording this, and um, the election was yesterday. And so we were just chatting about that and how some of us might have to pack up and go visit Vicki in Canada. So. <laughs> Well, there's a given too. During the first um, presidential debate, one of our like prime ministers, like the leaders of our NDP party, he like recorded the video with um, Fleetwood Mac like the same night. It was pretty funny. <laughs> I was like, meanwhile, in Canada. Exactly. <laughs> All the fun things are happening in Canada. So, okay. So Vicky, start off by telling us a little bit of your background and um, you don't have to go all the way to birth, but... Okay. Like, you know, where you think the fun started? Somewhere in between. Yeah. Well, like, I guess quickly, like, I'm from a place called Newfoundland in Canada, which a lot of people don't know. It's an island on the East Coast. Is that um, where the there's... Newfoundland dogs come from? Yes. And the Labrador dogs, actually. Oh. So we get the double cute doggos. Um, yeah. So from there, um, so very rural upbringing. Uh, but then I studied chemical engineering. And um, from chemical engineering, went and started working in the oil and gas field, uh, like in the oil and gas, I guess, part of the industry. Um, so I actually worked uh, for the Trans Canada Keystone Pipeline. So I trained as a control room operator there. Um, I worked in their commercial group. I worked commissioning control systems in the field. Um, and then that culminated to when I met my co-founder and then uh, we decided to uh, start OCM. So now I'm the CEO of Crux OCM. What, why chemical engineering? I know that's a random question, right? Oh, that's, no, that's a great question. Um, so I actually started studying forestry and then I was laying out logging roads in Northern BC, uh, British Columbia in the far Western part of Canada. And I hated it. And I was like, you know what? Math seems cool. I'm going to try this engineering thing. Um, I had to upgrade math and high school math and physics and community college. And then, then um, decided, okay, well, I really like, I work from pulp and paper as well. And that was very process oriented. And I was like, well, I'm going to try chemical engineering, but I hear it's really hard. So if I flunk out, I'll just do civil engineering. And so I, oh, okay. Well, good to have a backup. <laughs> I had a backup. So I managed to somehow get through chemical engineering and, and it was, it was fun. Actually, I loved it. The, the complex multivariable dynamic problem solving part is the thing that I like. What is chemical engineering? <laughs> Chemical engineering is, I guess, in short, it's the mass industrialization of chemical processes. 
So if you think of where does your shampoo come from or pharmaceuticals or um, the gas that you put in your car, um, all of those things come from the chemical industry and um, chemical engineering is the discipline around that. Okay. You seem really, really young. Yeah, I'm 33. Oh, you're so young. Oh, well, good for you for being so successful. Uh-huh, yeah, still working on it. <laughs> well, I'm going to say you pretty much are. So, um, okay, so you decide I'm going to do this chemical engineering, pass all those hard ass classes that I would never be able to pass. Yeah. And just how'd you get into the gas and oil? And is that like just an, a, a progression? Yeah, like, so, like, a lot of there's, you know, kind of specialized courses that you could take in like your last year. And so like, I took pulp and paper, and I took wastewater, and I took um, reactors, and I took like oil and gas. And um, because I had some pulp and paper experience, I had some job offers in pulp and paper, but I had a job offer at a gas distribution pipeline company in in Alberta, that's where I am now, and it paid the most. So I took Oh, it. well, there you go, girl. Gotta go where the money is when you first start out. That is for sure. Yeah, no shame. <laughs> no shame ever. No, no, no. <laughs> Gotta go where the money is. So, okay, you moved there. How long did you work for this company? That one, I lasted about a year and a half. Um, it was fun. Like it was, it's a great company. Um, I learned that I don't do well in very structured environments, but I didn't understand that about myself at that age. So I just desperately needed a new job, but didn't understand why I needed a new job. Um, so, so yeah, so I applied around and I got a job for now what's called TC Energy, but was formerly Trans Canada Pipelines. And looking back, I now understand what the role was, but when I got it, I didn't really get it. So they had just started um, the Trans Canada Keystone Pipeline in operation, and they had just formed a group to operate the pipeline to, called Commercial Operations. So it was like a small company inside of a really big company, and I was employee number thirteen. Oh, okay. And what was your role there at the time? Whatever was needed to be done. Okay, so, so it was kind of like a startup. <laughs> Yeah. And like, so looking back now I can see the parallels, but when I was in it, I had no idea. Like, I think I gave myself like four or five job titles in five years. It was, <laughs> I was just like, I'm going to do this now. Um, so yeah, so it was really fun. Like I reported directly to either the VP or the director of engineering. Um, from the time that I was there, the team went from 13 to 58 and then they reorged and went to like 350. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, so it was kind of an interesting, interesting thing. So yeah, so I like, uh, you know, kind of briefly there at the beginning, um, like I worked in maintenance scheduling, and then I wanted to understand, like, I really wanted to do, to do more heavy engineering, and I really liked process control. And I noticed that there was a bit of a lack of process control on, on the line. And so um, my whole thing is like, if I don't know how to operate this asset myself, then I can't engineer a solution for it. And I did the same thing in pulp and paper. So they let me train um, as a junior engineer um, operating the pipeline. Um, this is a, I think it's like a 3000 kilometer pump pipeline. It's huge. Um, it goes from Alberta to Texas. <laughs> oh my so across God. the entire US. Yeah, yeah, it's massive. And it's moving 600,000 barrels of oil a day, which the world oil consumption is 100, and 100 million barrels a day. So it's, it's a reasonable chunk um, for one line. 
And um, yeah, so so trained, and then I started commissioning um, control systems in the field, uh, and then I also worked with the the regulators, so control or management management of change regulations. Okay, this might be really dumb, but how does it go from one place to the next? Pumps, centrifugal pumps, every fifty kilometers or thirty miles for in freedom units. Okay, so. So you're saying these pumps are across all of the United States up into Canada? Yep. So how does it get to other countries? Ships. So you pump it out and you put it on ships and send it off. Yep. Where are those ships? Um, Houston is a big port. Um, then there's refining in Illinois. There's refine like there's, yeah, the U.S. has a bunch of, of very large refining capacity. Um, so the crude oil will go to the refineries, um, from there, it's a chemical process to turn it into jet fuel, butane, propane, gasoline, um, products, which then are either consumed in the U S or exported by ships. So, okay. Were you doing like the chemical rebalance there of changing it, magically making it change into what it was supposed to be? No, just worked in the control room, moving the oil through the pipe. Okay. So what is that? That's fascinating to me. So you're (laughs) in the control room and what's it like? Like what, what? The easiest way to describe it is Homer Simpson. Oh my God. Really? Like in that room at the energy? Totally. Yep. Like screens everywhere, like lights flashing. Like it's totally just like that just more complex and intense and not nearly as cartoon. Okay. So you weren't eating donuts and drinking coffee and. Yes, I was. Fantastic. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. So here you are doing this. Are you like one of the only females doing this? Well, I was training, so I never got fully qualified because I was just there to learn, but there was one other female um, at, in this specific uh, control room. She's lovely. Um, but it's a very male dominated field, like next level. Like we think tech is male dominated. Like you at least might be in the room with another female. (laughs) (laughs) Really? Wow. So you, okay. Damn, really? And you were young. Yeah. And you were surrounded by all these boys club kind of thing going on there. So actually the interesting thing is that at the operations level, it's not much of a boys club. The boys club is at the, in the executives. That makes sense. I mean, that seems to be the norm. That seems to be the norm. Okay. So you're there, you're kind of training on how this all works. And then you just up and decided to start your own company. There was a few things that led to that. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So um, once the company reared to like the big group of like, you know, 350 people, um, you know, then I had like an actual manager and stuff and I didn't really know or understand what that was. And I was too young to really like, you know, realize that this is actually what a corporate job is. It's pr- it was um, probably a dude too, wasn't it? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. I don't, there was actually no females from me as a junior engineer all the way up to the chain of command to the CEO, um, like from like a straight line. Like there were some in like HR or like over in other groups, but from in operations, like in technical operations, all the way to the CEO, not one female. Oh my gosh. Okay. <laughs> so 
Yeah. So, um, oh, what was the question? <laughs> oh, you're, oh, um, blind. How, how did you, how'd you go from where you are to your company? Right. right. Yes. So when all that happened, um, you know, kind of realized that this wasn't really, or didn't really realize, just knew that this wasn't the place for me and didn't really know like what to do. Right. So I actually went and saw a career counselor and I did um, a whole slew of psychological assessments to determine my EQ, my strong preferences, my Myers-Briggs, um, and my, he then pushed me into doing an entrepreneurial assessment because he's like, Hey, you're like, you should really look at this. And I had been already considering, um, some sort of entrepreneurial endeavor, but again, not fully admitting that that's what I was doing. Um, so, cause my co-founder was, had been a very successful consultant in industry. And so I like full out asked him one day, I was like, Hey, can I like work for you? Cause I just wanted to do something else anyway. So going through all those assessments, it was you know, everything kind of triangulated to, you know, this company thing you're talking about, like, maybe you should really look into it. But as a young female who, you know, from like a rural community and then an engineer, like I'd never been told in my life that I could be an entrepreneur or even really like I, like, I was like, what does that word even mean? Right? Right. <laughs> so, so there was definitely a whole bunch of like convincing myself that it was something that I could do. So me and my, my now co-founder, like we talked about this for almost two years before we were like pulled the trigger and we're like, yeah, we're doing it. Did you work with him? Yeah. So he was actually hired as a um, high-end consultant and that's how I met him. So he has a PhD in process control. Um, like he, his algorithms for pump station control for pipelines are in every single pump station that trans Canada and Enbridge own in North America. Oh my so, gosh. Huge. Yeah. So I met him and we had done some really cool work together when I was at trans Canada and, and just, you know, became friends and kind of odd pair of friends. He's 21 years, my senior, <laughs> so like an odd, an odd founding pair for a company, but uh, we just worked together so well. And it was so much fun that when I asked him like, Hey, like, I know I talked about take, you know, working with you consulting, but how about we, we start this software company instead? And he's like, yeah, I'm in, this will be fun. Oh, well, that's cool. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, He's probably young at heart. Oh yeah, he is. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So you get pushed. I'm assuming there was a lot of imposter syndrome as you were doing this. I can only imagine there was a lot of imposter syndrome sitting in that room with all those monitors. Right? That one was more comfortable. Oh, you were? Yeah, I like that better. That was fine. Oh, that was good. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. I would be so intimidated by all of that. I think, but like that, I understood, right? Like I understood the physics behind it, the math behind it, like the execution of it. Like I understood the personalities around me, but then starting my own company, it was like all of a sudden I was in this whole new world that I had no anchor to. Well, yeah, this is, yeah, like you're now the, the boss. Yeah, what's that mean? <laughs> exactly. Nobody knows what that means. No. <laughs> okay, so you go off and you start this company. Now you got to tell us every what it's, Crutz OCM, correct? Yes, that is us. C-R-U-X. C-R-U-X, yes. Okay, so... How did this all come about? So, um, yeah, Roger and I, 
Um, well, so I, I decided that we were going to do this, uh, you know, or I decided I want to do this. My whole thing was like, okay, if Roger says he's in, then we have to do this. And then I was kind of like, in a way that was like a bit of my out too. Like if Roger doesn't agree, then okay, I'll go figure something else out. And Roger's like, yeah, I'm in. So, so then, then I had to quit my job. <laughs> like, Shit. Now I got to go really through with the <laughs> yeah, at that moment. I was like, Oh, it's really going to happen. <laughs> All right. Here we go. So yeah. So, you know, I kind of tidy things up at my job, put in my notice. Um, I assumed because like what I wanted to do was something that, um, you know, had been discussed internally and, and, but we'd never developed any, any IP or anything. So I just assumed that when I told them like super honestly, like, this is what I'm going to do. I just waited. I was like, they're going to walk me out. And they didn't. So I sat there for two weeks and then we had like a lovely party because I had lots of lovely friends there. And I'm like, it was a, it was a great experience. It was a great place to work. Um, and then like, you know, my boss threw, uh, threw a lovely going away party. And then, you know, I packed up my suitcase of random stuff because I'd been in the same cubicle for like five years. And then I, I left. And then, so, you know, I had my weekend. And on Monday, I cried for eight hours straight. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And then Roger. Yeah. You got it out. You got it out. I mean. Got it out. You're getting all the honesty like, here today. A cry of, like, you were fearful. Like, what did I just do? Yeah. What did I just do? And then, yeah. So, like, I had... At the time, like me and Roger, we knew we had something, but we didn't know, like, not, like he knew how to run a consulting business. But we knew nothing but running a software company. Like, you know, he and I were a couple of chemical engineers that could certainly write some hack job code. We're not software engineers, right? And so um, I just started reading books. Like I just, I, I somehow stumbled across like the business model canvas and like value proposition design. I started reading that stuff and that read some more books. And then I found, I just started asking people to meet with me. Um, but it took me and Roger almost two years to understand like what building a company meant. Because like I was going, like I was able to get a lot of meetings because I'm just, I hustle, but I kept getting the meetings with the wrong people. And so we were never able to make any sales because I didn't understand, like I didn't understand like Bant. So like budget authority, blah. like I didn't understand like the basics of sales because I was an engineer. You know, I'd never heard of, like a master service agreement and procurement. And so <laughs> it took us a while to, you know, we, we wasted a lot of time just not having, a, like I'd never heard of venture capital. That's another thing. Um, so then we managed to, I had our lawyer, I met a lawyer through just kind of my, my hustle and networking. And um, he was just like, have you heard of Y Combinator or Techstars? And I was like, no, what's that? <laughs> and so he put me in touch with both Y Combinator and Techstars. Um, we got into Techstars. Um, what is and It's a business accelerator. So those are two of the, um, I guess, most profitable accelerator programs globally. And they teach people how to start, how to make a startup. So, oh, okay. Yeah. So I went to, Roger and I moved to Norway for three months to go through this program. Um Coming out of it, I understood infinitely more than I did before that. And we actually had people. Wait a minute, you just moved to Norway for three months. You just like, yeah, you just like packed up and we're like, peace out. My furry friends, I'm going to go to Norway. Yeah. Damn, girl. Well, Roger and I were like, okay, so this company thing we've been trying to do for almost two years. Like, we have this opportunity in Norway we either we go to Norway 
and we have a nice time living in Norway, or we go to Norway and we figure this out and we can actually figure out how to make a company. We figured it was a win-win. Oh, definitely. (laughs) How was Norway? Is it beautiful? It was lovely. Yeah, it's beautiful. It actually looks very much like my home province of Newfoundland, which is hilarious. Really? Believe it. Yeah, I was just like, what? Where am I? Cold there. Oh, it's freezing. And we were there from September to December, which is like not the best time. I was gonna say this cold time there. So this company, this startup program or whatever, is out of Norway. No, it's actually global. So they're like, I think, I don't know how many programs they have. I think they have 50 or 60 programs globally. And so we just got into the one that was like um, an energy specific one. Oh, which oh is a really good energy. Oh, they have specific startup business. Oh, okay. I see. All right. It's not just a generic. It's very specific to the industry yeah. you're trying to get into. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Sounds okay. fun. They're always fun. So you go to Norway, that's fun. Mm-hmm. And you figure out how to start a company. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so you come back home, right? Mm-hmm. And then what happens? We, uh, when we came back home, we had some great connections in Europe. And two of our like mentors from the program approached us in like the same week. I think they must have been talking to each other. I've never asked them, but I will. And asked if they could angel invest. Um, So we said yes. And then we had a few other folks um, that wanted to angel invest, like from industry. And so then we had uh, raised our first round of pre-seed capital. Um, And then our investor out of Berlin, he's like, I'm going to teach you how to raise like a proper round of venture capital. Like this is a venture capital backable business. Um, I said, okay. And then he and I met every Friday for six months until I figured out how to do that. <laughs> well, that was great. He took you under his wing and he, 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 yeah. So you would be successful. So you clearly got the money. Yes. So we have now raised 3 million us. And we closed that as of last a year ago, last October. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. And then what, okay. So everybody's going to, dying to know at this point what actually you do oh yeah so (laughs) hey that um yeah so we have built software to um help control room operators operate these assets so if you think of pilots and planes have autopilot um you're not going to get in a plane without a pilot you're also not getting in a plane without autopilot yet the control room operators that operate our major energy infrastructure don't have autopilot software so that's effectively what we built in, in a high level. So you had to, well, you had to have software engineers, right? We do now. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So you presented this to some software engineers. And so pretty much you are doing automation. Yeah. We're at, we call it robotic industrial auto- process automation. Um, we're like, we take the concepts of RPAs, or robotic process automation, with respect to automating human workflows, but then how we do it is very heavy um, industrial automation combined with machine learning, depending on where we need it, um, to be able to achieve the automation of control room operators, procedures, checklists, and rules of thumb. So it's kind of, uh, yeah, it's, it's a hybrid. 
Okay. And um, I ask this out of people who are entrepreneurs. Um, how did you even think about this? Were you like sitting there one day in the operating room and you were like, man, this would be great if it was automated. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Like I was sitting there and I was just like, like I was training to start up the Keystone pipeline and like I broke a sweat and I'm just like, this takes three hours and I'm sweating. This is not reasonable. Like why? Like, and if I mess this up, that pipeline shuts down and there goes, you know, $3 million. Like why? Right. I would think that would be so stressful. <laughs> oh, it's super stressful. It's so stressful. And it's like, and then from like the regulator standpoint, like control operator fatigue is a huge safety concern. And it's like, okay, so you're, you're helping people with like alarm rationalization and like kitchens and making sure that they have like gym facilities, but you're not solving the root problem, which is that they have too much work to do. So that's a real, pro- that's like they get fatigued. Mm-hmm. There's actually like, I think, um, the regulator reported 70 safety related incidents all correlated to um, control room operators being overworked. Okay. Um, have you ever, were you ever in a situation where something crashed horribly? Um, so these assets have like very, um, very like tight safety constraints around them. So like you're more likely to shut down the asset and lose money than you are to actually like, something up. yeah like it's it's very very tight safety constraints for very good reasons um because people can get hurt right um but yes i have accidentally messed up some code and shut down a pipeline oh good for you yeah at two <laughs> o'clock in the morning <laughs> accurate timing it's all about the timing yeah the control room operator called me and he had a lot of beautiful beautiful words for me this is when you were working at that at the company, right? Not- yeah, I was commissioning a control system in the field. So there are people at the actual pumps, correct? Not always, no. No. Um, usually, they're like so. There's levels of automation. So you have like a programmable logic control at the assets, and then you have like a, which is a PLC, and then above that you have SCADA, which is supervisor control and data acquisition, and that's what's feeding into where the control room operators are. So does your software, um, like the company that you were at, would, is this what they would purchase? Is that who would purchase this? Yes. We're trying very hard, but no success just yet. Um, like, yeah. So, so pipeline companies, um, like, so the, I guess the verticals in oil and gas that we have found, um, a need for the application are pipelines, gas plants, um, refining, um, offshore platforms, uh, well pads, like lots and lots of different well pads. Um, obviously, then it would go into like petrochemical and other facilities that have uh, large control rooms. Um, our current traction is in pipeline gathering systems and pipeline transmission lines. Okay. So this is like around the world. Shit, right? I mean, this. Yeah, this is like huge market. Yeah, this isn't just a centralized in Canada or the U.S. This is like worldwide. Mm-hmm. So, are you worldwide? Not yet. We are a seed stage startup, so we have two customers: one in Canada, one in the U.S. Well, that's Canada. exciting. You're super <laughs> international. We are national. Yep. So yeah. So we're. We have a long way to go um, in terms of growth and um, 
our industry is conservative, rightly so, because safety first. And so it's taking us quite a bit of time. Um, but we have some, some amazing early customers who are, yeah, just been nothing but a pleasure to work with. So um, how many people like in your company or on your team or however you team team? Yeah, we're 13 as of like last week. And this is including the software developers. Yes. Yeah. This is, this is everybody. This is everybody. So what are like, what are going to be the next steps to, to expand? Yep. So right now we are um, just finishing up procurement. So signing our first ARR contracts for installs in customer environments. Um, So that's a huge milestone for us in terms of um, our annual goals. Uh, we're aiming to sign one more proof of concept with either an existing customer or a new customer. And then we, our current seed investors, um, feel that we've got, you know, enough traction to raise uh, another round of capital and then we can start ramping up and, uh, and, and expanding. Okay. So how has this whole stupid COVID thing affected you guys? <laughs> uh, you can tell okay, so that I love it, right? <laughs> well, it's... I'm like, am I allowed to say that I love it? Um. (laughs) You know, what's really funny is everybody that I've talked to, there's so many people and they're like, oh, COVID's been great for my business. COVID's been so good for my business. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm like, really? And they're like, oh yeah, people need my stuff all over the place. COVID's been great. And I'm like, wow. COVID's accelerated us. So like in terms of like, so we, you know, when COVID fo- first hit, we had like, it, it's interesting. There's like, it's like a twofold, a threefold with us. So like when COVID first hit, we had a couple of customers that were in very upstream oil and gas that were in procurement with us, like going through like negotiations. Um, and they dropped because their, their stock prices just dropped. And so they called us and they had to stop. And we were, at first we were really sad about that, but the two customers that stayed with us because of COVID, COVID doubled down. Like they're like, we're gonna go faster. We want more. And so we got to really focus on like very dedicated customers, which again, in hindsight was a blessing. We weren't spread too thin. And then when oil prices tanked, um, oil and gas is just kind of like, we need to digitalize faster. We need to automate more. So it's been great. You had, so COVID has been a success for you too. Wow. That's amazing. A lot of people have told me that. Yeah. They're like, oh, we're thankful for COVID. And I'm like, oh my God. (laughs) Yeah. I don't think we'd have the track. Like we might still have the traction that we have, but being able to be as focused as we've been and, and being able to execute as, as tightly as we've been able to with such success has been great. So are you, is your team remote or are you in an area where people can gather? We are remote first. Um, so we have seven employees in the U S and six in Canada. Um, we were going to try and have offices in Calgary and Houston, but with COVID there was no point obviously. So now we're remote first. We've got, yeah, like most of the team is in Calgary or Houston. And then we have, we have one guy in an Airstream who drives around with his wife and kid. In a, in a trailer? Yeah. He's one of our software developers. <laughs> oh, my God. Is he in Canada or the U.S.? I 
think he was in Pennsylvania last week. Oh, so he just like, look, guys, I got some Wi-Fi and I got a computer and some electricity. I'm just going to go on the road and. Yeah, it's fun. Wow, that's amazing. He could go check out places for you. He's been checking out a lot of places and they have a really cool blog too. So yeah, so it's been fun. So we're definitely remote first and, and happy to be. It's I think we're, I've seen that we've been able to, to get some pretty cool talent because of the flexibility pre-COVID. Now I feel like it's more normal, but. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of companies are getting rid of um, their office space. They're like getting rid of their blueprint or their footprint and they're going to just go remote because it saves time and energy and money clearly for travel mm-hmm. and that kind of stuff. So um, I could see that. Um, that's pretty cool. I like the guy in the, the motor home driving around that, that, huh, that might be, if I didn't have two kids, man, I'll tell you what, maybe I would. Do oh, that. he's got one. You can fit them in. <laughs> <laughs> he must have patience because I'm in a house and there's days that I can't be in the same house with two children, let alone, I couldn't imagine a motor home or RV. His is only 18 months old. So. Oh, oh, that's easy. They <laughs> don't really talk back yet at that age. <laughs> they get into things but they're not it's it's not intentional meanness you have teenagers I do Uh, (laughs) (laughs) I do I do so yes I do so um, that's pretty awesome okay so you I'm assuming spend a lot of time um, building up this company but there must be things you do outside. So tell us what you like to do, not work-related. Um, well, Don't even say you go and you like cut down trees and make paper. <laughs> no, I used to do that. <laughs> not anymore. Um, yeah, I do a lot of backcountry skiing. Um, being, you know, in the backwoods of Canada, lots, lots of fun outdoorsy things to do. Um, I used to do a rock, lot of rock climbing, but I think I've just kind of grown out of that a little bit. So, yeah, I'd say the back is this skiing. downhill or is this cross country? Uh, downhill, but you ski up the mountain and then you ski down the mountain. <laughs> um, with downhill skis or cross country skis? So they're called ski touring skis, and so they actually you can unlock the heels so that and put like moleskins on the base so that they have traction going up. And then they convert, you take off the skins and you convert the heels and then you can ski down fresh powder. Okay. Um, I raced, downhill raced. Um, started when I was eight years old and because I'm from Michigan. And so yeah. my family's from the Upper Peninsula. So I was close to Canada, not quite in Canada. But um, so I raced for many, many years up through college and then I got old and I can't do it anymore. So that's why I knew the difference between a cross country ski and a downhill ski. Most downhill. people wouldn't tell you. So I ski raced till I was 19 as well, actually. Yep. Say slalom and giant slalom. That was, <gasps> yes. So, um, so I'm too old now for that. I would break a hip like you wouldn't believe. So, yeah. Yes. That's why I like 
I like the powder now. It's a little more forgiving. Yes, yes, definitely. Okay, so you go up and then you come back down. That going up, man, that's a hell of a workout. It's nice. I like it. Yeah, get all that like, you know, oil and gas and tech company angst out. Yeah, there you go. Okay, what else do you do? I do a lot of CrossFit. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> is that to get the, the, the <laughs> out even further <laughs> yeah a little bit more of that and then you know for my east coast canada heritage you know i like my beverages so i like to have a beverage with friends that's another thing i do more than one beverage everybody <laughs> likes the, the the social drinking that is for sure now do you guys get to go out uh, yeah, actually we do. I think there's discussion of potentially another lockdown here because the numbers have been increasing again. But um, in the city that I'm in, so Calgary, um, masks are mandatory in any in any public building. Um, but yeah, restaurants are open just with half capacity distanced. Um, so yeah, so I get I get to go to the gym, I get to go out, I get to, to do all the things. I just have to be distanced and masked. Did you go to the Olympics when they were there? No, I didn't. I should have. But yeah, it was only really? they were right just, there. Well, right there is like a 12 hour drive. <laughs> but Oh, really? Uh, Vancouver. Yeah. Calgary. Calgary had the Olympics in 1987. Um, but yeah, the Vancouver Olympics, that's not that close to Calgary. Oh, I was thinking of the Calgary Olympics. But now that I think about when it, when I was, probably, I was going to say you probably you didn't live there when that happened. And I was probably still a fetus. <laughs> now that I'm doing the math, yeah, it seems like time is just flown by. But you're right. It did happen in Vancouver. Gosh, I didn't think about that. Huh. It was 2012, I think. Yeah, right? Because we're going to be hitting Winter Olympics. What year? This is the hor horrific 2020. Oh, we were supposed to have the Summer Olympics, right? Yeah, and then it got pushed or it something. It got pushed. Happened. Yeah. So the Winter Olympics should be next year, right? I think so. Aren't they supposed to be? Yeah, every other year? Something like that. Something I, like that. It comes on TV and then I watch it. Yeah, that's true. That's how I watch it, too. So, um, It's like yeah, the election. It comes on TV and I watch it. Gosh, could we talk about that election, man? <laughs> Pack up and go to Canada. What happens when you get a bunch of Americans up there? You guys are going to shoo us all away, I'm sure. Well, at the 2016 election, you guys crashed our immigration site. Oh, well, it could happen again, girl. <laughs> could happen again. Yeah. Yeah. Now, have you ever been to the United States? Oh, yeah. I spent two weeks a month in Houston for almost a year. Okay. Um, for, for, for the company, for Cracks. Yeah, and I've been in San Francisco talking with investors. We've got an advisor in New York. Um, so yeah, I've been all over. Oh, I've actually also been to almost every pump station on the Keystone Pipeline in the Midwest. So I've been to all the Dakotas and Nebraska and oh, Oklahoma, <laughs> Kansas, Missouri. Oh, God, girl, that's right down the middle of the United States. That's the, what do they call that, the heartland? it's uh, it's lovely actually it's quite nice um, I, lots of friendly people oh well that's all they have is nice friendly people yeah. there's the tornado yeah. area though you yeah like I remember showing up in like I have maybe South Dakota or Kansas or somewhere and like I'm at this pump station in the middle of a field and it's like there's like 
in case of tornado go and I'm like in case of what (laughs) (laughs) very common in that area yeah I'm like I'm just used to snow I'm like what okay all right like we can do that but yeah I I had like multiple three-week tours through that part of of the U.S. so I've yeah I'd go to go to Walmart get my snacks go out for the day in my coveralls oh boy now is it snowing right now there in Canada no, but it was minus 20 last week. This week it's plus 20. And I don't know what that is in Fahrenheit. Oh my God. That sounds so cold. Yeah. It was minus 20 is like freezing. That's like minus 32 is zero Fahrenheit. So we were, we were creeping up on zero Fahrenheit for a week. Ugh. Really? What's your summers like? Fine. Calgary's not that great. Like, um, it's kind of cold. So like maybe like sixties for you guys in the summer, sixties or seventies. Oh, okay. But like, depending on where you are in Canada, like Toronto's beautiful. Like Vancouver's beautiful, right? Like Calgary's just really high. It's like on a high plateau. Right. Um, it's elevation's huge. Yeah. Yeah. It's November here in Ohio and um, we're used to it being, yeah, you know, maybe in the forties, 40 degrees. Um, but it was, in that high sixties, almost 70 today. It was, it was beautiful. Oh yeah. So. That's nice. We yeah. Had, yeah. It was pretty good today. I scootered to the gym. I love my, my e-scooter. So it was warm enough to scooter. Oh, well, there you go. All right. Okay. So anything else that you do outdoorsy fun when you're not working? Ah, these days it's getting kind of limited. Oh, I got the sailboat. Um, I learned to sail last summer. Well, there you go. Are you by water? No, but we like <laughs> <laughs> so it's in um, the boats in in the Okanagan Valley, which is like Canadian wine country. Um, and it's a really, really, really big lake. Like, yeah, you know, like Michigan, you know, huge lakes. Um, so it's a huge lake. And yeah, my husband and I bought a sailboat there because Calgary summers aren't that warm. We're like, you know what, let's let's learn how to sail. So we spent the summer learning how to sail. So I, yeah, speaking of remote work, COVID was also nice because I spent nine weeks working on my sailboat this summer. I forgot about that. Oh, well, there you go. See? Yeah. Oh, that was nice. Yeah, I lived and worked on a sailboat for nine weeks. That, was, that nice. was, yeah, that's nice. That's real nice. So, all right. So if you, as an entrepreneur, because you are one, mm-hmm. What advice would you give to, let's say a female, which is, you know, our target, target audience, but making that, that leap. So I made that leap. I know the imposter syndrome. I know all the like sleepless nights that you probably have, um, the oh shit moments. Um, what would you say, or what advice would you say? I'd say if you want to do it, really dig deep and understand why. Oh, okay. Yeah. Because you can get over the imposter syndrome if you know why you're doing it, right? Um, If you're not fully understanding yourself and fully understanding your motivations, um, yeah, the oh shit moments would be a lot worse than if you have something to center on. Okay. I'm assuming you're, you're, you said you were married, um, is very supportive. Yes. I would not have been able to do this. He paid my credit card bill for a year while I 
read books and just wandered around trying to figure out what I was doing. Did, is he in the same industry? Not even close. He is, he's a physician in healthcare. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Total opposite. Oh boy. Okay. Much better fit. Yeah. How about yourself? Are you guys in the same industry? My husband and I? Oh no. No, but he uses your product. He uses your, he works for Delta. So. Oh, jet fuel. He uses that jet fuel. It's good stuff. You know, we need to use less of it, but we like flying places as humans. We just kind of do. So. Yes. So yes, he uses your, your jet fuel. So, um, wow. Yeah, That's another one though, is the supportive partner. Like the supportive partner is huge as a female. Like I, yeah, I've heard some horror stories. I, I had, um, I have a friend in, in Spain and, uh, yeah, you know, it's one thing when partners say that they're supportive and it's another thing when they're actually supportive. Correct. I've heard, I've heard horror stories. Yes. That would be, but like my, my, make sure you're supported in whatever you yeah. do, no matter what it is. Mm-hmm. So even buying the sailboat sounds like he was very supportive. Oh, he was very, he was excited about that one. Um, yeah. And he now, loves it. He couldn't work remote. No, he can't, but um, he works urgent care. And so what he does is he usually stacks his shifts and he'll work like a bunch of shifts one week and then have like four or five days off or like a week off. And then he'll kind of scoot himself back and forth, um, which is nice. It's super flexible compared to, normal nine to five. <laughs> yes, definitely. So has he been affected at all by the COVID? Has he ever had, have you guys had a scare or? No, like he and I haven't had COVID that we know of, you know, we could have been asymptomatic carriers and not known, but we haven't had it th- that we would know of. Um, he hasn't seen that many cases. Um, Cause he's not like, you know, he's not in the ICU where like people who, like older people or people that have the compromised immune systems would be. Right. Um, he does swab a lot of people. He's seen a few cases, but nobody's super, super sick. Um, so yeah, he's been, he's been lucky that way too. And, and yeah, so it, Canada's got cases and, and, you know, got to be careful like everywhere else. Um, but keeping it, keeping the curve low. That's good. That's good. Well, I am glad to hear that. So all right. So what's next? What's next? Well, I'm going to make some dinner. Okay. No, what's next? Um, what's next for Becky? What is she going to do next? I mean, you got the like after the business or, or both, like what's the next big milestone that you guys have? And then what do you think? Like, it's going to be like in a few years from now, you're going to be so successful and everybody's going to want you what's going to happen. Um, so yeah, we need to, to, to raise a good round of capital. Um, our goal is to be the, the autopilot software for control rooms globally. We are like, our plan is to be um, in every control room in the world that needs us. Um, I would absolutely, you know, beyond that, why can't these assets be operated by tablets? Um, you know, I'm, I'm getting to be here and do my work at a laptop. Why can't control room operators, you know, 
like, why do they need to be in a room with all the screens? Why can't, why can't the operation be simple enough that they can do it on a tablet? So that's, that's where we want to go with it. Um, just simplify, simplify. Um, and if that takes five years, 10 years, 15 years, that's cool. That's do you fine. have any competitors? No, I didn't think so. I would <laughs> say this is probably a very unique, I mean, your industry is so unique that. And like, it's, I think that like they're, they're going to come obviously. Right. Um, we definitely have like a blue ocean right now and we have, um, we have a first to market head start. Um, so that's another reason why I want to, I want us to raise more capital and move fast. Um, you know, let's the first mover in a market, if they can capture the whole market, they're the de facto solution. Definitely. Mm-hmm. That's what we're going for. Go, so go, go big or go home. That is right. That is my philosophy. Go big or go home. Yep. I'm, I'm living it right now. And it's honestly, the ride is fun. It has days like everything else, but it's, it's fun. That's awesome. So mm. what do you guys usually get for feedback for like advice for, for entrepreneurs? I'm like, what, what's the usual that people give? Um, uh, I hear a lot of people that say, um, just do it. Like mm-hmm. if you're passionate about it, then you will be successful. So just make the leap. And um, I've had a lot of people who are very skeptical and say, uh, the people that are, are looking into being an entrepreneur saying things like, well, what if I'm unsuccessful? What if I fail? Um, you fail. You learn yeah. from your failures, right? You get up, yeah. brush yourself off. And um, I think women especially take failure very hard. Um, yeah. And so um, they don't, but there's a, a, a fear. They're afraid. Mm-hmm. of failure it's, yeah it's fear and then so that's where I'm like because like I was terrified right? yes <laughs> like, terrified and yeah like lots of therapy and you know and <laughs> it's but it yeah it is there's so much of it that is horrible but if you really understand that I I this is what I want to do and I'm happy about it so not so much I think like like maybe the passion is an oversimplification it's more of like the like I am still going to do this even if I fail. So I might as right. well. Right. Yeah. So, into that. I think a lot um, of women say things like, oh, I could never do that. Or I could never. Oh, I said that. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. And just getting them to be like, just do it. Well, and it's like, so the the psychological assessments were a really nice tool for me because like literally I was like, nope, can't do it. Never do it. And then the, the counselor was like, here, do this entrepreneurial assessment. That's literally like conventional versus entrepreneurial behaviors. And I was off the charts on entrepreneurial behaviors. He's like, and he just slid it across and he's like, so do you really think you can't do it? <laughs> <laughs> he was honest. He was honest. And so, yeah. So like, that's something that I recommend too is, is looking up resources like that to, to help you gain the confidence if, if folks really want to do it, but are scared, like, hey, what are the things that you can do or find that can help you gain that confidence? Yeah, definitely. Life coaches. They're yeah. all over the place. 
in I don't know up there, but here they're all over the place. They're not so much here. Like a lot, I find, yeah, like I think that in Canada, like you can, through like benefits and stuff, you can usually get access to like therapists and whatnot um, through either like a corporate, yeah, there's lots of ways to get it paid for. Um, so yeah, so there's definitely a lot like people go to like registered psychologists and whatnot. Typically. Yeah, we don't have that luxury here. Yeah, we could, you know, have a whole episode on the comparative <laughs> healthcare scenarios if you, if you like to. Your husband could sit in, give his opinion. I mean, we could. <laughs> oh, that's that's a rabbit hole we can go down, both positives and negatives on both sides. So <laughs> it's interest it's an interesting one. <laughs> definitely, definitely. So well, um, let's see. It is six o'clock your time, right? Eight o'clock. Oh, eight o'clock. Well, it's 10 o'clock my time. Why did I think it was six o'clock your time? It's I don't know. 2020, man, I'm losing. You're, you're tired. You're just, <laughs> it's bedtime. <laughs> I'm sure there's a high school kid outside my door waiting for me to get off so I can help them with homework. Um, oh, yes. Those are necessary. I don't have a cat on my lap right now. Usually there's at least one cat on my lap. <laughs> oh, how many cats do you have? Two. We have one. My daughter has one. Yes. Well, I don't know. <laughs> like, so LinkedIn now has like stories kind of like, like how Instagram does. And I've determined that Instagram has just been training me for crappy cat videos that I now get to put on LinkedIn. Oh, there you go. Mm-hmm. It's amazing. Why not? Right. <laughs> Why not? We all need it at this point. I know. All right. Well, thank you for having me. Yes, it was such a pleasure. But let's make sure we it's um, what's your website? Oh, www.cruxocm.com. We are currently hiring for a software engineer. Shameless plug. Please apply. We would love to hire more women. There we go. There we go. Um, And if you um, I can put it on our website or out on our communication thing, too. Um, And provide your information if you're good with that. And people yep. can reach out to you. Perfect. For a tech company, we have four out of 13 are, are women, including the, the co-founder and CEO. So we are just busting through odds. Yes, you are. That was going to be my last question. <laughs> Do you have any women? Yes, we have four. <laughs> but that's awesome. So that is we awesome. want more. It's yeah, it's, it's funny how when you have like we had like our last hire was female and it was like we could feel the like masculine energy just getting a little bit too big and we're like hey we really need another female (laughs) you're like come on come on come over here we need to balance out the the scales now so that's awesome (laughs) well I think you guys are going to be awesome and successful and um I hope well we'll keep in touch because I want to know what happens as you continue to grow and um, CRUXOCM.com. That is us. Yes. Is that correct? Okay. And uh, then LinkedIn. I post a lot of random stuff on LinkedIn and we have a newsletter if people want to sign up. Okay, perfect. Yeah. What's it? Is It's just CRUXOCM on LinkedIn? Uh, yeah, they're on LinkedIn or myself, Vicky, Victor, Vicky not. Vicky not on, on LinkedIn. Um, yeah. So happy to connect. I like to put all my things out there. 
If anyone's Perfect. interested in oil and gas, I post on that a lot. You never know. There could be there could be a diamond in the rough somewhere in the United States going to listen to this podcast or around the world that is like, I love gas and oil. Yeah, I don't think that's a normal. Um, no, but you know, there's saying. somebody out there that does. <laughs> the final environmental plug, though, before we go, although I know you need to go. Um, so yeah, so we all need to get to the energy transition. Completely agree with that. Like, fundamentally agree with that. Um, however, population is growing and energy poverty is a real thing. So what people tend to forget is that from here to renewables is a long time and a lot of work. So what we do is working to make existing assets more efficient. I think that we're the first step towards the energy transition because you're not going to get there overnight. So that's, yeah, environmental. Problem. There we go. Mm-hmm. I didn't even think about the environment. I, I tend to. Yeah, that's part of your job, though. Because <laughs> 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 I'm sure there are way smarter people than me that'll be like, what about the environment? <laughs> well, no, they, they've waited to the very end of the show, but they've got it. <laughs> there we go. Nobody so now if you get a comment, one. if you get a comment, you just be like, end, very end. <laughs> be like y'all can't hold it against me we talked about the environment we did we did all right well thank you so much lady i really really appreciate your time and loved chatting with you and um stay warm and safe up there yeah you as well stay stay safe and be careful if there's a mass exodus okay yes i will i may be part of it (laughs) it's possible that's okay thank you Thanks for tuning in and don't forget to subscribe to our podcast and leave a review. We will see you next time and feel free to drop us a line at getwitit.org.